Welcome back to Following Note on a Storm Light Podcast. This week is episode 169 of Following Note on. And we are in chapters 44 through 48, finishing part four of The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson. Paul, how are you? I know I say I'm fantastic every week, but like, but like this is one of those weeks that just makes me so grateful for this podcast. So grateful just for the time to to get to talk with you guys because man these are some fantastic chapters and ending of just a fantastic part elliot mentioned kind of kicking off the uh the sander lynch and i think he hit the nail right on the head there that uh absolutely just like so it gets really exciting really quick i'll leave it at that we do have we have several different exciting things in several different avenues happening at the same time, which I feel like is the definition of, um, uh, I I wonder if it was this book that really established Brandon Sanderson with his Sander Lanch kind of like tag because, um, the first anyway, Ellie, how are you? I am also also doing well. I, I feel like I'm in the same boat as as Paul, and that. Things are things are really starting to move here, and I, I enjoy all of the the build up chapters in our books and kind of dissecting those with these guys. But these are kind of the sections of the book where I need our discussions with you right. guys to just help me process what is what is going on, both in a sense of we're starting to Sander Lanch, and so things are going fast, and there's things that I know I've missed that you guys will help me notice. But then there's other things that just happen and you're like, I can't stop to process that right now because I got to keep reading. And so now is my moment to attempt to go back and process it all with you guys. Sounds good. Let's roll intro and then let's start discussing the end of part four of The Well of Ascension. Elliot, do you want to give us a quick summary, if you can, um, of what happens here? I, I'm going to blaze through this because a ton happens here, and we're going to get into all of it, and there's some big drops, spoilers. I'm not even going to hit any of those. I'm just going to hit some of the, the, the big events here. Uh, let's see. Vin has kind of disappeared. She and Zane wrecked the house of of set and then she kind of goes and hides ellen comes to find her tindwell and says are are still doing more research at least in the the early chapters of of this section we let's see zane shows up and attempts to kill vin and in reality the opposite happens of vin dispatches him with a lot to talk about in that scene, which we will get to. It's like seven different things. (laughs) Yeah. And then our crew, the the OG crew, gets back together and decides that they need to send Vin and Ellen away so they don't fall um, victim to the destruction that we feel like is headed our way. So way more in there to unpack, but we're going to get into it all. So that's your brief, brief recap. Sounds good. I'm going to throw it right back to you, Elliot. 
is the first thing you have on this outline is finally exclamation point an interesting epigraph which one indeed indeed this is so chapter 44 which is the the start of our of our section here i've kind of gotten into a rhythm in this book of kind of ignoring the epigraphs they've either been something i know already that says that is already read to me or so irrelevant that i have no hope of possibly putting any context on it whatsoever i feel like a lot of other books the epigraphs like vaguely hint at stuff and you're like oh what is, i wonder what that means I can't even do that with most of these epigraphs. It's just, it feels so irrelevant. This one, though, chapter 44, not super relevant, but the first one that I read that I was like, ooh, okay, I'm going to pause and read that again. I think maybe just because it's rather philosophical, I'll, I'll read it for you. But must not even a madman rely on his own mind, his own experience, rather than that? Of others it's a single sentence it's a single question but one that was like oh i have a lot of thoughts on that and we'll go down in a massive bunny show that we probably should not at this point to if i if i try and dissect all that sentence but i was i thought it was a really interesting statement about should a madman rely on their own mind and the statement is kind of from the stance of like, well, that's that's all anyone has, right? So they got to rely on their own mind. But in the context of a madman, it seems like the obvious answer to me is, well, no, actually. A madman is the perfect example of someone who should not rely on their own experience and should lean on the perspectives of others. And I feel like I could relate this maybe to a few of our characters in this story. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of ways we could go with this. Bottom line, it was philosophical, and I liked it. Sounds good. I also, I was listening to this. I listened to this twice, and one of the times I was listening to it on my way home from work. So I did, while you were reading that, my brain did the location association thing that you do with when you hear something or yep. like a song or, you know, or read something that you've read before in a specific location, maybe on like a vacation. And then you think of that anyway. So now my brain is driving home from work. I'm in, I'm, I'm going to push back on you on the boring epigraphs thing for a second, because you said, what did you say? You said it was either something Sazed had already read to me, or it was so far out of context that I have no hope of getting it. I think that's interesting. And I would challenge you on both of those claims on if they're actually true. And I will leave it at that. I I like that you're saying that and that it it, it gives me gives me hope for where we're going because I was I was getting a little disappointed by the epigraphs to the point where, like I said, I'll admit, I've kind of gotten into a rhythm of not paying attention to them. I read them fast and I move on. And it's just, oh, they're discussing Quan and Elendi and the Hero of Ages and the Well of Ascension, all these names. I don't know who is who. 
if I go back and maybe do the work of reading them all back to back, maybe I could start putting together some pieces. But some of them are definitely excerpts of stuff says it has already read to us. And so I have crossed those off as, oh, yep, I already know that. And so, yeah, I'm glad to hear there's maybe more that I'm missing, but I'm definitely missing it. I think there are several listeners that are enjoying what you just said. Uh, and Paul is one of them. So we, we, we can move, we can move on before I give too much away. Um, at the beginning of chapter 44, the crew has quickly come to the conclusion that our doom is upon us because based on what happened in chapter 43, set appears to be full retreating. He has left the city. He, his, um, his army is packing up to leave, and I believe it's clubs and Dachshund who are having a discussion, or Ham? No, clubs and Ham um, are quickly come to the conclusion of the the war is about to start because if Set leaves, then clubs is saying all Straff has to do now is back up, let the Coloss attack, and then come in to be the victor after the Coloss attack. So they've fairly quickly resolved that we're, we're, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble for the, like the first time since like the, the beginning of this book when they first showed up. So what'd you guys think of that conclusion? So, so to, to, to look at this, I think we actually need to talk about something that we didn't really talk about in our last episode, right? Didn't. So, so Zane and Van, go and basically just run through the ranks of Set's stronghold, or uh-huh. his his camp. I don't actually know what he's in. I'm assuming it's a camp. They're, like, outside of Luthadel. Uh, no, it's um, it's the Keep Hastings. It's inside Luthadel. That's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. So they, they run through it. They they make pretty quick work of, of the whole thing and, and realize Set doesn't have any more Alamancers. He doesn't have any more, and he's, you know, there's kind of the front of, like, you know, all these leaders have Alamancers. They just keep them secret because that's where a lot of the strength of an Alamancer can come, is it seems like just maybe a normal soldier, but they're a coin shot or or, or, um, a thug or whatever, you know. Um, That's a lot of the strength of them. But they find out, by forcing it, one, there was this little bit of suspicion that maybe Set is an Alamancer or Mistborn or something like that. And he's hiding it as this guise of of being like paralyzed, right? They 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 quickly rule out that none of that is the case. He is not an Alamancer and he has no Alamancers there to protect him. Right. You know? And I mean like Set's kind of not given much of a choice there. He does start to we see where he begins to withdraw. But it's because it's it's basically been outed that he has no legitimate power to overthrow anything here. He was not elected to lead. Um and he has no serious force. You know? Not really. His Alamancers were expended, it sounded like, earlier um, in, in our story. And that was it. That that was all he had. So, um, 
We do see that. We also, I mean, just just for the sake that I think we should talk about it, um, no longer relating to that point of him withdrawing, is is Vin and Zane, they, they don't kill Set. They don't kill Set, and they don't kill Set's son, who stands up in front of them, knowing he's powerless against them. You know, he stands up for his father, um, which I think is something to note. So, last episode, we talked a little bit about Zane and Straff Venture, and how if you were to take everything that you could have in a toxic father-son relationship, it's probably that relationship, right? And we have compared, or I, I compared last episode, Straff and Set. They're both bad. They're both, like, pretty wicked and unfair and all sorts of things, right? Um, and while they, that is still both, that is still true, uh, there is a bit of a difference, I think, that we see here. I don't think we would see maybe... So we see Set's son step out really from a place of, like, probably love for his father and, right. like, care for his father. Right? I don't think we would see that with Straff's children. Um, Zane seems to be mostly... I, I mean, I can't fully say he's loyal to Straff, uh, because he does a lot of things that he's not supposed to do. He's supposed to kill Vin, right? And he doesn't do that and other things as well. He often tries to poison him. Um, but there is some sense of loyalty or servitude there. But it's not the same as this. We we are seeing a son who cares for his father and is like putting himself in harm's way to try and protect him. And it was kind of it was kind of a bit moving, kind of a bit touching, um, and I think a bit of a testament maybe to set having a redeeming quality. Maybe you know we we we. I mean, I'll say that lightly because we see where he deliberately voices he does not care about his daughter or like all sorts of stuff, right? So so that's not me going too far and saying like, oh, he's a pretty good figure and a good dad and stuff. I don't know, but but there's at least. I think we're shown at least a difference in character between Straff and Set, which I think is neat to point out. All that being said, if y'all have other thoughts on that, you're welcome to chime in. That's my that's my soapbox, I guess, there. Um about that scene and and about this character. So Should we hold a tournament of worst parent in the Cosmere? <laughs> oh gosh. No, we should not to answer <laughs> your question. That's a great that's a great comparison between set and and venture, Straff venture. I didn't think of it in that sense, but now that you lay that out, Paul, that actually really helps me process my emotions that I was feeling in this scene because the where I was at as I'm watching Vin bear down on the crippled set and his son steps in the way. Like all the emotions rise up as, oh my goodness, Vin needs to not do this. It, it felt very much like Anakin Skywalker to me of this is the moment where she will fall to the dark side if she kills this youngling. And of course, we know the path that Anakin Skywalker went down. Spoilers. Vin, <laughs> I, 
If you haven't seen Star Wars, go do that. <laughs> Stop listening to this podcast. Go do that, and then come back. The it only came out in two thousand five. You got to give plenty of time to yeah. yeah. Them it's watch only it. been like only been eighteen years. Eighteen years or so. Yeah, that's it. For the times, then does not fall to the dark side. She does not kill the boy in front of her to get to to get to set, and that. That felt like a very emotional, like I cheered in that that moment. And Paul, the the context of, you know, Straff Venture and Zane helps me kind of think why I felt like that. Cause if it was Straff Venture in that, I don't think I would have. Right. I cheered in that moment. I would have said, Vin, you need to take them out no matter what it takes. And so that that is a big differentiator in between set and Straff venture. It's the love that his son has for him in that moment. I didn't realize that was the key part of that, but but you're absolutely right. It was, and and that act, not words, but the act of his son standing in front of a very violent misborn coming through speaks volumes. That that speaks a lot. Not once, but twice. He yeah picks him up and throws him gets to set and then after the conversation with set he gets back up and stands between set and vin again so at the beginning of or at the end of 44 vin is hiding away in an old hideout i'm not sure if it's the old hideout that we meet her in chapter two of mistborn or if it's just an old hideout that she knows of but she's in this like cubby hole that she can spy on the street from and there's a couple key things in the uh conversation with Vin and Ellen uh or or sirs well or sir is there as well um but we can talk about that later um what did you guys get from this Ellen and Vin conversation I I got I got quite a lot and I'm I'm not even quite sure how to how to talk about it. It was it was a rather rather emotional one. Yeah. They Ellen unknowingly saves his relationship with Vin through one line of dialogue that she, that Vin then references later for herself. Um because later in chapter 47 um, she's about to leave with Zane. Um, he's he's Zane's about to win, and Vin realizes I've made the wrong decision because Zane will never trust me, and Ellen has always trusted me. Doesn't matter what I do. Make your decisions, and I'll support you. Is what Ellen says, and that has, carries such weight for Vin through these chapters that. It saves their relationship and um, what Vin ends up deciding in chapter or three chapters later. I noticed too all the references to Kelsier throughout these chapters. I think it's primarily in Vin's head. Yeah, and that that's that's absolutely a thing that not just Vin but a lot of the crew come back to. Kelsier was such a leader for all of them, and. And I think kind of cemented by his his death 
as well. He he's very much a an inspiration to all of them. Although in this one scene though, where Ellen finds Vin in the hideout, Vin is worried. She's comparing herself to Kelsier in a negative way, actually, yeah. in this scene, in that she's worried that she's become the calloused killer that Kelsier was. That was that that was probably the biggest flaw that I think we poked on in the first book was Kelsier had a lot of really admirable traits, his disregard for human life, especially that of non ska right. was worrying at times. And, and Vin picks up on it too. And in this moment she goes, Oh no, I've become Kelsier. I just murdered all of those people to achieve my ends. Have I, have I become Kelsier? I I think the crew specifically have very few qualms with Kelsier in book one, but the further away they get from Kelsier, they realize more flaws with, with him and where he may have made some rash decisions. Um, because I, I, I think it's in last episode, Vin has a mental dialogue of what would Kelsier do? in this situation and she tells herself well kelsey wouldn't have gotten this in this situation to start with because he would have slit slit both straff and set's throats the first day they walked up to luthadel like that he has zero patience for specifically uh royal blood um that if you're threatening luthadel he he's going to take any steps he can to protect that and however many kills he gets along the way is just a bonus. So it's also isn't this it's in this episode where she thinks to herself if I hadn't spared Gorodel's life I wouldn't have overthrown the Lord Ruler. She walks into Kredic Shaw and what do you guys think of that scene? She walks into Kredic Shaw and um begins to wonder why am i here you guys remember this and then she walks away like this is, it was kind of a strange scene so i just looked it up it is chapter 46 where vin goes into critic shaw to and to that small building where um the lord ruler hung out and i i looked it up on the copper mind and this is what it says Vin goes to the secret chamber within Kredik Shaw, where the Lord Ruler spent his time. She isn't sure why she went there, however, and leaves. So, what what, what do you guys... I mean, there's not much more to it in the book, so what do you guys think of it? I, I thought we were heading for some kind of epic reveal. It was Vin returns to the scene of epic events in the last book. Surely she's gonna uncover some clue that they missed or they've all been avoiding this place because they're scared of it. And Vin has this giant revelation when she walks into the room and the entire scene was literally as the copper mind describes it. She walks in, hears loud thumping in her head and is like, this is odd. I'm leaving. I, I was 
very sure we were headed for something way bigger than that, and it ended up being nothing. Unless the thumping is important. That that was maybe the the key part of that. Or I have no idea, but that was that was the difference. The only bit of note I got out of that was she hears the 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 pounding in her head, which she assumes is the well of ascension. And when she goes into Kritik Shaw, she hears the sound more, which I couldn't tell if that was just her going crazy and or focusing on it, or if that had something to do with where she physically is. I, I couldn't tell. Hmm. Any thoughts before I uh, read a quick quote from the passage? Oh. No, no thoughts that I can, that I can share yet. Um, I do, I mean, I do think it's interesting. Um, no major, major thoughts on, on Critic Shaw. But yeah, all in all, you can, you can go ahead and read. You can go ahead and read. Okay. So somebody in our Discord actually pointed this out to me. So let me read it. She stepped into the small building within a building. It had only one room or had been torn up by Ellen's crews searching for the ATM. The, the walls were still hung, however, with the trappings the Lord Ruler had left behind. She raised her lantern, looking at them. Rugs, furs, a small wooden flute. The things of his people, the terrace people, from a thousand years before. Why had he built his new city of Luthadel here, to the south, when his homeland and the Well of Ascension itself, had been to the north. Anything catch your ears? My ears? You know, just the, I mean, the funky flute music, that's all. Yeah, the the flute seems a little out of place, or, or at least oddly specific. I also <laughs> thought that when it was pointed out to me by one of our Discord members. And I think I want to talk about it under a Stormlight spoiler. So let's pause on that unless you guys said anything else. We'll come back to that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Back up to the Vin and Ellen scene. Um, I also want to read something else. When, when Ellen finds Vin in the hideout, Ellen's kind of lost for words of how to comfort her after she's just made a wreck of um, Set's men. And this is chapter 44. He could finally see what was in her fingers. It was her earring, the simple bronze stud that she always wore. She looked down at it, twisting it between her fingers. Did I ever tell you how I got this? She asked. He shook his head. My mother gave it to me. She said, I don't remember it happening. Green told me about it. My mother. She heard voices sometimes. She killed my baby sister, slaughtered her, and that same day she gave me this, one of her own earrings, as if, as if choosing me over my sister. I'm not going to ask you, Paul, but Elliot, did you catch anything? Yeah, two, two things specifically. One maybe is simpler, so I'll start there. I'm really glad you brought this up because early on, I keyed in on Vin's earring. Mm -hmm. After after learning a bit about Ferrochemy going into this, and then fairly early on in this book, we get specifically told that her earring is bronze. And 
I've, I've, I've learned enough misborn magic to know that if I get told that a metal is something specific, that it could very well be important. So I theorized early on that that was going to be potentially playing into our magic systems. Now, something, something worth mentioning that I think we didn't have time to cover on the podcast, but it was like four or five episodes ago now. We actually did see Sezed use a bronze metal mind. And okay. it gets just it gets we get told that he uses it to stay awake, I think. Yeah. If I'm remembering it correctly. Yeah. That that the the ability that he stores in his bronze is awakeness. That he can stay awake for long periods of times by drawing on his bronze stores. Of course, the converse of that being, I assume he has to sleep for days to store up his awakeness in his bronze. When does that guy have time for all that stuff, by the way? That's a great like, question. That's got to be really time-consuming. <laughs> like, yeah. He'd go and, sleep anyway. for a month. Don't mind me. And, and all the other stuff he's got to do. Like, I got to go be really heavy for a long time so that I can sometimes <laughs> be light. And I got to go Super get frail. a bunch of stuff so that yeah. I can remember it. Like, take a lot of time. Um, sorry. Anyway, that yeah. that led me down the path of I was ready to to toss out my theories about her bronze earring being related to, to ferrochemy because that's not the ability I was expecting for her to whip out was oh she's got this bronze earring from her mother that helps her stay awake so i yeah glad you brought this up because bronze earring is back it uh i think is not magically as important as i thought it was okay that that's that's thought train number one thought train number two which I had a lot of these thoughts as I was reading, but I don't think they all quite fell into place and aligned until you read that just now. We, we've, we've heard the story before of Vin's mother killing her, Vin's baby sister. And we've, we've chalked that up to, oh my gosh, she must have been a psychopath. We're glad Vin escaped that. I, I now, though, as you read that, I'm starting to draw some potential parallels, but specifically you, you mentioned in there that there's reference to Vin's mother hearing voices mm, in her head. Yes. There, there is another person who hears voices in their head telling them to kill things. Mm. And, and that other person with a specific voice in their head that says kill things does not say to kill Vin. There seems to be a, a preference for Vin, a friendliness. I, it's not the right word. I don't know if we can make that assumption, but a specific lack of animosity towards Vin from this voice in Zane's head. Yeah. Is Vin's mother hearing the same voice? And is that what drove her to kill? the baby and show maybe the earring is just a sign of affection or acceptance of Vin. Thought train two. 
Yeah, I wish I didn't know the answer to this one so I could talk to you about it, but I do, so <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of good stuff there. I'm glad you picked up on what I was leading you to pick up on. Um, any non-spoiler thoughts over there, Paul? Yeah, actually. Um, so I will say, honestly, my first read-through, I didn't catch like any of this with the earring. I don't know, like literally, like going through basically the whole series, like didn't catch anything with an earring. Like I was like, oh yeah, she wears an earring. That was kind of the end of it. Never caught it was bronze. Never caught like any further significance with that. I was reading at a you know casual or quicker pace, you know, um, and not too deeply, you know, just for enjoyment. Didn't catch on to this at all. So this is this is neat to me. This is kind of new, and I'm like, wow, like dang, like Brandon really put a lot in here about this you know and stuff so i'm kind of like rediscovering some just like other neat details i guess that that are kind of in this story and as far as like this another thing i never connected i never connected that you know like later we see zane say like vin you're the only one that the voice is like quiet around or doesn't say to kill right and i never put together that her mother apparently also had this voice or a similar voice or something and i don't know she was the chosen one if you will Mm. you know so my my only thoughts are that like this is still this is kind of news to me like this is um i did read this before but didn't like fully catch all those connections there um and man, like he he really went to town with with that, and and I have to say, like that is really, I don't know, I don't know what to, well, I kind of know what to make of it, but not fully. So, um, yeah, Elliot, this is why Elliot. I love the podcast, by the way, is because if I read this on my own, like I'm gonna miss half of this stuff, right. as I obviously shared, I had missed this, these details and these connections, and this is what we get to. The kind of added bonus that I get to pick up on. Elliot, when I think it was four maybe episodes ago that I just asked you bluntly who else has voices in their head, this was another fish in the ocean that was possible to remember if you could um, because we had one other reference to her mother hearing voices being mad or whatever. Unless my copy doesn't have that line. Uh, <laughs> man, every those last two quotes that I read, as I was reading them, I was just thinking in my head, this isn't going to be in Elliot's copy. We just have two different books straight up. That's just how this is going to go. Okay. We'll get back to voices because it plays a big part of chapter, well, a big-ish part of chapter 47 and the end of chapter 47. But we'll get back there. Sazed and Tindwell have something very strange um, go on. But before that happens, Tindwell and Sazed have a conversation about ancient religions. And Tindwell's not the first one to confront Sazed about, well, why do you teach all these religions? You know that they can't be, like, that they start conflicting with each other. Why, why are you... Uphold, like upholding these old 
religions if you know at least some of them have to be false because if others were true, then it would disprove other ones. What did you guys think of this one? I found this discussion really, really fascinating, actually, because Seizet is such an interesting character. I like him a lot, but I, I kind of agree with the the questions that, like you said, Tindwell and other characters have have questioned him on, which is the whole, he teaches all these religions to other people, but as Tindwell really tries to get at in this scene, he it's not just a scholarly or historical interest in them. It's not he's not just documenting them for the sake of documenting them. He he will not Tindwell presses him and is like, well, surely you don't believe all of these, right? And Sazed can't really say no. He's like, he 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 wants to say yes. I don't know that he quite does, but he he seems to have a connection to the religions or a a faith in them, to use mm. that word carefully. Yeah. That would seem to contradict itself, and yet he he seems to see value in the beliefs themselves, even though they yes seem to obviously contradict each other. And and the direction that the conversation goes, I thought was really interesting, and that they start talking about hope. Sazed talks about the fact that, well, all of these religions have value because they get they bring people hope. And on one hand, I I really like that sentiment. I I would agree that belief in higher power or a greater calling or whatever you want to call it absolutely does bring people hope and it's a, a foundational like part of who I am but it's followed up by the immediate question which is well but what if it's a belief in something that's not real does does hope need to be founded on something real and Sazed seems to to think that well just the hope itself is valuable right and Tindwell might be a little more where I fall, which would be, well, but hang on a second. If you're spreading falsehoods just to give people hope, is that right? Mm -hmm. Does does hope need to be founded on the truth? If if we're having it, a moral, like, like ethical discussion, I would argue, yes. Um, but if says it's arguing the fact that the fact that I'm giving them hope doesn't regardless of what it's founded on is valuable period so right and and i can I can understand that argument I guess, especially within the context of the final empire so what I would say is hope for a time like for a short instance, yes, you can give hope without truth you can. You can say something to bolster a people, right? You're heading off to war, and you're not going to say, oh, look, we're going to lose this right now. Like, we're just all going to die. Even if that's what you believe, like, that if, if you are going to inspire hope in the people next to you, you're going to say, no, we're going to win. All right, boys, we're going to lose <laughs> this game. See... I want you to go out there and lose 6-0. Go for it. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and so for a time, yes, 
like like for a short time, yes, that you can do that. You can inspire hope without truth. I believe that you can't do that over a long period of time. If if you continually put like look to something for hope, I mean, well, okay, there are disclaimers, there 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 are caveats to this, but if you completely put your hope in something and look to something for hope that continually is not truthful and and lets you down then you're going to lose hope in that you're you're like there's going to be a point where you don't trust that that will lead you to something you know um that there's you know there's a lot of ways you could go with that right but that that's my that's my uh, little two cents on it synopsis of kind of a top like further away view is I think yes you can instill hope without truth in a short instance you can bolster people say let's do this charge straight at them we've got this whether or not you believe it and 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 get people riled up and get people moving and that probably is good like you probably are increasing your odds in a game in a fight whatever by by giving confidence right um but in the long term you know that's it's different so just go ahead i like i like that thought a lot paul that actually helps me understand the the perspective a little bit uh, a little bit better i i wish though that says it and tindwell had gotten to finish this conversation because <laughs> i don't think they do they You're get right. interrupted by what we're going to talk about next and I'm just like, well, hang on a second. I want to finish the the theology discussion that we were the, we were about to get into, but no. Instead, they find something a little worrying, which is worrying and confusing. They are going back through their notes. I forget exactly what they're looking for, and says it realizes that a section of a page has been torn off. I think is is what he finds at first. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and I think the way it goes down is he's like, well, that that's okay. I know what that that sentence was because I have it written down over here. And he goes over here. That page has the exact same sentence torn out of it. So now he gets worried. So now he goes to it. It's fine, though. I got it written down over here. Goes to the third place. Same sentence torn out of the page. I feel like. Did I imagine this? I feel like one of them, it was even described as like the sentence was in the middle of the page. Yep. And so, the middle of the page so here's, is worn out. Here's the details. Kindle finds the first page and says, did you tear this up? That's weird. And says it says, nope. They go find another page. It has the exact same tear. Not, the exact, not only the exact same sentence, they overlay the papers together and they have the same ridge marks on them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then they find another page that, yep, it's written in the middle because it's only the second half of the rubbing. So it's it's in the middle of the page, and that is burned out in the middle or torn out, or I don't remember what they say. Lastly, they go to Says's lockbox, unlock the lockbox, and pull out the original rubbing, and that has the same tear that the first two pages have. So then they kind of sit there and stare at each other like, what is going on? Because this is really weird. 
And then Sazed makes the great observation of why would someone do this? Why would they know enough to come do something like this and then not know enough to know that I already know what it is because I have it in my copper mind? What do you think? And it gets even more confusing still. Maybe this is going to tie back to my ignorance of the epigraphs, which I'm going to laugh about a little bit. (laughs) The uh, confusing, just like you said. But then when he recalls the the actual sentence and you read it, it's like, well, hang on a second. That doesn't even sound like an important sentence. Here's what the sentence says. Alendi must not reach the well of ascension, for he must not be allowed to take the power for himself. Okay. Okay. Great. That seems, I mean, kind of, kind of relevant, and like not completely worthless, but not. Oh my gosh! I must protect this information from you. Important. Like that. That's kind of a theme of the whole. What they're what they're talking about is, Lendi's supposed to go to the Well of Ascension. They know there's a big power there. Oh, we have to stop him and make sure he doesn't get it. Okay, nothing earth-shattering about that. I wish I knew less. I wish I could have a good conversation here. <laughs> all I, yeah, all I'll say is the there there's something interesting happening with those epigraphs that uh, are maybe intentionally boring. And so you kind of end up skipping over them like you were talking about, Elliot, at the beginning of this episode. Well, now I'm like, now my brain's going down like um, Harry Potter thought trains with okay. like the, the 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 journal, Tom Riddle's journal. Oh, yeah. It's like the book is alive and it like writes things to you or it, or it changes itself. Like is the is the writing deleting itself? And saying no, you can't read me. Like, what is what is going on here? Interesting comparison. I, I think, think that's actually the the rest of not to spoil part five and part six, but Voldemort actually um, <laughs> it shows that you know <laughs> Strathventure was actually Voldemort the whole time, and he was <laughs> leading them astray with uh, rubbing. If you if you rearrange the letters of Straff Venture, it turns into Tom Riddle. <laughs> oh. Lo, yeah, exactly. uh, little known fact. Tom Morvalo Riddle or whatever whatever it is. Anything else on Okay, yes, actually I'm gonna answer my own question. So in a in another scene with Sazed and Tindwell, they're having their discussion about um uh, they're having a discussion about the Well of Ascension, and Vin walks in, or jumps through the window, or whatever. Um, actually, the thing, this is right after they've discovered the torn out pages. And it, uh, Tindwell and Sazed kind of freak out, and but they both um, bulk up, and then Vin's like, what, is, what am I interrupting? What's going on? And Sazed's like, oh, nope, never mind. Don't worry about it. Um, so then Vin comes in and says, Sazed, how do you know you're in love? And Sazed's like, girl, I got no idea. You were asking the wrong guy. 
and then they have a conversation for a couple minutes and then she leaves and then ellen walks to the door and says says it how do you know you're in love and it's it's a good scene because ellen's like we just don't have anything in common and then says it kind of laughs to himself it's like you've got several things in common buddy so what would you guys i thought this scene was very very good what'd you guys think of it I thought it was I thought it was great for all the same reasons. Good comical value there. M- maybe even the best part of it too is they both send Tindwill out of the room. Yeah. But of course, she just listens at the door to the whole thing, and it's like, yeah, very, very teenage drama. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it because it it dawns on Sazed that man, these two kids are way too pure and innocent to die in Luthadel. We need to send these kids away to go get happily married. Um, and it it leads him to call a meeting, a, a secret meeting of uh, of the crew without Spook, Tindwell, Ellen, and Vin. And it's from the perspective of Breeze. This is actually my favorite scene that we've read in either Mistborn book. I think it's really well written. I really enjoy that it's from the perspective of Breeze. It's nice and refreshing to get um, a Breeze point of view chapter. And then they we'll talk about the scene in a second, but Sazeth has no idea how to hold a secret meeting because he's got two guards outside the door um, to this random meeting room. And Breeze tells him, okay, the first thing that you need to do when holding a secret meeting is not make it obvious that you're holding a secret meeting so if we're hiding from ellen get rid of ellen's guards who are gonna tell him or or, and he's gonna notice so what do you guys think of this and and on top of that says it has like a single candle in the dark room and he's (laughs) like come here come here we gotta talk about this and breeze is like whoa whoa buddy if you want to be sneaky just be casual let's just light up the room have a conversation like no one's gonna think that's weird that breeze and says it are sitting down and and having a chat and smoking a pipe or or whatever it is and yeah that was that was comical but i i also felt a sense of nostalgia almost Mm. in this scene back to back to book one of like this is this is the original crew getting back together to have another one of these crew meetings where they, they come up with a plan and I don't know. I, I think I agree with you in that this chapter was, was noticeably well-written and that as I read it, I was hearkening back to the final empire scenes and fondly remembering some of, some of what we read there. Just no, uh, no Kelsier to lead this one. No Kelsier, no chalkboard. Oh yeah, no chalkboard. Yeah, no chalkboard. Like classic chalkboard, yeah. With just Lord Ruler written on it with no input. Yeah. Well of Ascension? Question mark. Question mark. All right. Should we talk about Zane? Goodness. For potentially the last time? As spoilers, he dies. Okay, wow. What? Yeah, I ruined it for you. No, not Zane. Ugh. Okay. There are totally redemption a redemption arc in store, right? There are so many small details in this scene 
that I feel like this might be a long episode. <laughs> okay, so I think you're right. Yeah, I think I'm right too. Okay, I, I I will quickly summarize the whole scene, and then we'll go back and start picking apart things that we want to pick apart. Zane shows up in where are they? Outside. No, they're inside. They're inside. They're inside, and that's that's important. Outside, right? I don't. I I think they're in like. My brain puts them in like a ska slum, just like this random attic somewhere. But I don't think that's true. It it's it's important that they're inside because of what the mist does later. It's isn't it Vin's bedroom? I was Vin's Is it? bedroom. I don't think so. I don't think it's in Keep Venture. But maybe it is. I don't know. They're, they're in room A, and Zane almost persuades Vin to go with him. She says, yep, I'll go with you, and then immediately decides, nope, that's the wrong decision, and then Zane attacks her. Fight back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Oh, Tensoon is not, or, or Sir is not on Vin's side. He's on Zane's side. Or Sir is the hidden Chandra, and his actual name is Tensoon. But the relationship that Vin and Tensoon have nurtured together over this last book is real because Tensoon actually ends up being sympathetic towards Vin. Doesn't give Vin the ATM um, in his, hidden in his shoulder that she knows is there. Does eventually get to overpower him with a Duralium push of emotions and then gets control of his body, which we'll come back later. Uh, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that later. Following, yeah. Force pulls Tensoon on top of Zane, stabs Tensoon, I think, pulls the ATM out, swallows the ATM. Oops, it's not actually ATM, it's lead. Um, I don't actually have ATM, even though I thought I did, but then I didn't, so now I don't. Um, and Zane mm -hmm. is so... I'm following. Yep. Good. Note on, or me? Yeah, both. Uh, both? Okay, good. Okay, so, Zane is so overconfident that he starts walking towards Vin, saying that was the tiniest little scrape of ATM over this big lead ball. You should have checked that, because you're stupid. Um, and then Vin's the chosen one and decides ATM doesn't actually matter and I can kill you anyway. So he then goes to stab her. She's like, I'm just not even going to think about what I'm going to do in the future. That way you can't know because I don't know. And that beats ATM, I guess. Um, so which we'll talk sort about. Of. Yeah. Okay. So then I'll, I'll, I'll comment on that in a minute. So then she <laughs> gets the better of Zane, stabs him in the windpipe, and then... Zane falls into the mist, which during this whole thing, the mist has been rising in the room, which is important. Um, but so the the mist like comes into the room with Zane, but then it also Vin notices that it's like being repelled by Zane. Um, and it like keeps pouring into the room, and Zane falls into the mist and dies. At the end of the chapter, we actually get a Zane point of view that the 
voice never told me to kill you. You were supposed to save me. Oh, by the way, Zane has a spike in his chest. That was revealed to us. Um, and then the voice in Zane's head says, of course I never told you to kill her. And the funny thing is, you were never insane. End of scene. You you even missed one. Did I miss one? We, we learned that not only does Zane know about, he has Duralamin. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one, too. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I did forget a big reveal. There's too many of them. What, six, seven? Okay. There, there, were, there is a lot. <laughs> Which one's first, gentlemen? Okay, so I would say first, let's talk about Orsir slash Tensoon. Okay. Um, because that's a question that was kind of the big question throughout this story that we kind of dropped for a little bit, which I think is a good, just, you know, writing strategy to kind of drop that ball a little bit so you're not actively uh, super suspicious and then reveal it, you know. And I'm curious to know from Elliot actually what your thoughts on were on that reveal on or sir being the planted chondra if you will paper it makes a lot of sense and i i liked it personally because like you're suspicious of all these characters who's a chondra well we're talking to the chondra you know but but we thought it was a second one you know so it is really sneaky there really like you know yeah, very covert. Um, but I'm curious to know. Excuse me. I'm curious to know your thoughts on that on that reveal. I was rather surprised. I talked in, I think, our wrap up episode of Final Empire about how I how I determine whether I like plot twists or I don't like plot twists. Specifically, we were talking about Kelsier and his mm -hmm. whole, oh, I intended to die this this whole time plot twist. And I actually didn't like that one a little a little bit, the Kelsier one, because it it didn't feel discoverable. Right. And you, you guys told me, hey, go back and read the book again and maybe you'll feel otherwise, which I, have, of course, have yet to do. So maybe I'll recant that. But all that to say, this one I think I liked in that this is something you absolutely could have caught on to, I think. I just did not at all. The, this caught me completely off guard. And I was preparing to be upset because I feel like we had checked off pretty much everybody from the list. We had, we had alibis from everybody. And so I was waiting for a, oh, but wait, it's actually Breeze because of this thing you could have never known about. Right. It wasn't that at all. It was a very logical, very explainable, oh yeah, that Condra, uh, who you didn't really like at the beginning of this book, but you've grown to like him because he started to build a you know a relationship with Vin. He started to open up. He started to help her. Wait, that wasn't Orser, at least not after a certain point in there. So that was well well delivered and makes perfect sense. I, I think I dismissed it in my head because for some reason I assumed that all the Chondra are friends. Like I also assumed it, they're all on the same team. Yeah, I assumed that as well. Right. It it did not occur to me 
that Chandra A would kill Chandra B, that they would, yeah, that they seem to be like the, yeah, the, the in the shadows guys that know more than everybody else. They're all on the same team and they're just kind of laughing at everybody else. So it, it didn't even occur to me that the Chandra would have killed the other Chandra. But of course, now when you think back on it, the, the contract is everything for them, right? So right. if the holder of the contract orders Chandra to kill other Chandra, he's probably going to do it. Right. I mean, that there is a whole host of questions on how far can the contract go because yeah, the whole reason why they all follow the contract is so that they don't get subjugated by Mistborn again and figure it all that that's been slowly revealed to us over this part. So, but, but then if you order a Chandra to kill all the other Chandra, then why are you valuing the contract at that point? Like, you know, the, the, there's a whole host of questions to be asked there, but yes. I, and it's specifically stated that Chandra won't kill humans, right? Like you can't order the Chandra to kill a human. And so of course my brain jumped to the conclusion, the assumption that that maybe also means Chandra won't kill other Chandra. I'm sure that's never stated anywhere, and that's uh, me jumping to the wrong conclusion. So, but cleverly disguised. Yeah, I agree with This is a good one. The Duralamin soothing into being able to control his body was odd to me. I, I, that is a very strange mental picture. So it, you're you're right. It is strange. To me, what's more strange is I don't know. I feel like there's like this ethical dilemma that Tensoon is staring down because he knows Ven kind of knows their secret, but I don't know that she fully knows she can like take control of his body, you know. But she does, and. The, the the weird dilemma is that she looks at Tensoon and knows he's like sort of he's like inviting it. He's like saying go ahead. Right. Like non verbally he's saying go ahead. But yeah, it's it's just kind of an odd dilemma of like he knows he's not supposed to, but he kinda like signals it, you know, and so I'm like, is it who who actually did the, the dirty work, if you will? Like who did Tensoon, like, I mean, he he kind of volunteered himself, but Ven was the one who actually, like, used the body to, like, tackle him off, tackle Zane, you know? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a bit murky, I guess, ethically on his, like, whole contract or whatever and right. stuff, but... Yeah, that's a good question. Did Tensoon break his contract with... It's like I feel like technically, if you if you really want to look like logically, I feel like n no. If you're being really technical, right? Because it's an external force took control of his body forcibly and rammed into Zane. Right. I also don't actually know. Isn't the contract? I mean, it's probably to like obey. You know, whoever your contract is with, right? And it's to, like, not kill anyone. Is that right? Like, he can't mm -hmm. kill anyone. 
Right. But I don't know if it says anything about like in injuring or tackling or you know things like that. It is strictly like you cannot end someone's life. You know. So well, and bit bit murky there. Not not to get too far off context, but Vin has an inter- internal dialogue last episode that or sir broke his contract with me to defend me. Well, turns out he never actually had a contract with you because that's ten soon, and he never. The contract that you had with Orser is now void because Orser is dead. So anything that Ten Soon is doing is not actually contract bound. So yeah. Anyway, it did feel that the whole mind control thing or body control, whatever you want to call it, did feel a little bit like a left turn for the magic system. Mm-hmm. And I have full faith in, in Brandon's magic systems. If there's anything that he does impeccably well, it is magic systems. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to learning more about this. But in the moment, it doesn't make sense. Using emotional manipulation. Cause she she's just soothing, soothing him, right? Yep. Yeah. She's soothing him, which as far as we know, all that does is suppress emotions. Right. You can you can pick specific emotions and suppress them. Why in the world does that give you mind control over another being? I I cannot find any logic that links the two of those together. It's isn't it how because because or sir talks about how the what is it the Lord Ruler was like their their father right. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is he kind of created them that way, like to be yeah. controllable. Like they were designed to be controllable. And it's kind of a secret and stuff. That's what I thought I remembered. Uh, maybe that's not entirely true, but like that they were kind of designed to be subservient to the Lord Ruler. So, like, you're right. Logically, if especially if you're looking like person to an, like Vin to another person. That makes sense. Like, there's no way you could soothe and the like suppress emotions to thus then gain control of that person or that person's body. But Contra, I think we just kind of have to throw that logical thought uh, away a bit and, and look at like how they were designed. You know, like, and I, I'm not saying I understand it. I don't think I do, but. Like I, at least me personally, I'm like I can rest knowing like uh, the Lord Ruler made them, and that's you know that's just how it works. That's their secret. They he says it's a secret that people aren't supposed to know. Um, as far okay. as the actual logical, like hard magic system logic of it, not one hundred percent sure. Okay, so I think what what maybe I'm hearing is potentially it's like a. It's a back door in the coding. Right. It's it's not necessarily the soothing itself that is giving you the mind control. It's just that is specifically programmed into them yeah. that if you soothe them enough, it gives you control of their mind. So it's yeah. almost like that's the Lord Ruler hardwired that into them. Okay. That's my understanding, because apparently it's like not just like Tensoon specifically or something like that. It's like right. that is a Chondra 
race racial like secret yeah mm-hmm. okay know? it's like that's the that's the code word that unlocks the yeah brainwashed assassin yeah yeah exactly speaking of brainwashed assassin i'm curious to talk a little bit about zane while we're talking about zane and talking about magic systems we see he has a spike in his chest thoughts i this felt like the biggest reveal of all of this including our conjure reveal and everything like all all these other things that have been like building up to them were were big but this one just came out of left field and this one i think left me the most shocked which was zane has an inquisitor spike i'm assuming it's an inquisitor spike in his chest now obviously he doesn't have the full inquisitor get up because they've got the spikes through their eyes there's there's no hiding that Mm -hmm. and so why why only one what power is that granting him is he an inquisitor why does he have this he's already a mistborn he's already got duralamin he doesn't seem to have any special powers that vin doesn't is he just dead and that brought him back to life like what is going on with the spike? So it's what you just said is interesting. He's already a mistborn. So I wonder if the rest of the Inquisitor getup gives you mistborn powers. And so he only has one that he's missing. And so he gets one, but I don't have no idea what that one would be. Okay. Yeah, it is interesting. I've never thought about that. Honestly, I don't have much to add to this. It's just like a big reveal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it is a big reveal. And, and I mean, right now it's just it's just a mystery in my head. It's a huge reveal of like w- there was way more. There was more going on with Zane than we than we may have thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it you also think all could... the Inquisitors have voices? Side note, just about having spikes in you, I guess. Do you think the the Inquisitors have voices? Is that, that is, is that definitely... like is that a question of like, you know, is that something that comes with with the spike? I guess a voice that that one hundred percent came thought came into my head was mm. now now we have another another string on the conspiracy theory dart or a pack board is should we be equating voice in your head that tells you to kill things with having spikes impaled through your body. So we should go ask Marsh. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Do you, are you feeling okay? Do you, do you, your voices? Here's any, heard me, you know, What's you, the word on the street for you? You, do know? you have an impending desire to kill me right now, by chance. <laughs> so, also with Zane, other thing which which may be a bigger deal, in my opinion, than the spike is he's told by the voice in his head, "You're not insane." A- as he's dying, as he is like gasping for breath, he's told. You were not insane. I don't remember the exact quote, but that that's my paraphrasing. 
Um, You're not insane. You never were, you know. And uh, the the reason why I agree with you that this is a bigger reveal than the spike is up until this point, it hasn't been super clear if this is Zane being crazy and just hearing a voice in his head saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. This is somebody talking. That there is a that there is somebody talking to Zane in this scene. This is an interesting thing that I'm going to try and talk carefully around since we're in our non-spoiler section. I that is not a shocking reveal to me at all in the slightest. I I did not put any significance or importance on that statement whatsoever. That was already my assumption. It might be a revelation to Zane. Maybe Zane thought he was crazy, and now in his dying breath, he learns that he's not. I never had a suspicion at any point that he was. And I'll just simply put it down as voices in people's heads is far from new for me as a Cosmere reader at this point. And so when a voice shows up in someone's head, there are a lot of directions I go before insanity. Mm. Insanity is maybe like sixth on the list. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to one through five. Um, <laughs> but before we get there, anything else on Zane and then Vin and Ellen get married? Just, you know, quick side note. And then Sazed <laughs> um, sends them off to the well of ascension deliberately with with deliberate misinformation he tells them it's on this specific mountain in in terrace go north uh it, i'll tell you exactly where it is and the reason why he says that is just to get him out of the city he finally convinces ellen just give up the city for now you can come back later we'll hide we'll be fine tells vin if you're not here there'll be way less bloodshed we'll just surrender the city It'll be fine. You guys can come back in a year with an army. Great. Sends them north to the terrace people. End of the part. And then Sazed thinks to himself, we're all going to die. I'm just glad I could give them happiness with their marriage and their lives. Go live and never come back. That, that That's his actual motive. Which is just the... so precious. <laughs> Thank you, Sazed. Like, it's just so, like, he's just so, well, like, I don't know, tenderhearted with it. and For the hopeful religious guy, he seems a little resigned to me. Like, he does not have any faith in the Well of Ascension. Like, he tells them, go get the Well of Ascension and then come back. And then in his internal dialogue, he says, we're all going to die. I'm just glad they can go live their lives. That's fair. I was thinking of it in a way cuter way, but <laughs> you, you raise a great point. Um. I think he I think he has faith in Vin in that in the scenes that we've seen with him it's very strongly hinted that says it is starting to suspect that Vin is the hero of ages yeah either some kind of reincarnation or second coming of the hero of ages or the first hero of ages was actually wrong and not the hero of ages. And Vin is the real hero of ages. I'm actually fascinated. Maybe we're going to get into this here with questions. You might ask me whether that is the plot of the next book 
or the 150 pages we have left in this one. Mm. Not sure, but I, I think I think it has faith in that Vin is the hero of ages and will save the world someday. He just apparently seems to have given up on the Well of Ascension and is like, okay, I just need to get Vin out of here. She'll go save the world someday. I'm just going to die. He he's he's given up on the Well of Ascension, but he is has faith in the Hero of Ages. Mm. Yeah. Which back to the whole titles of the book thing confuses me. All right, are we ready for our do you have a theme for the part? Wait, I I before we jump into that, I I have I have a little bit more. Okay. I actually do have to jump back to Zane for for a final okay. thing. Uh-huh. So last episode, I gave kind of a sweet little, you know, maybe set had a redeeming quality. You know, I'm not necessarily saying Zane is a redeeming quality, but I want to I want to talk about the complexity a little bit of the character. Um, and and I think this is also aided by what Elliot said. I think in the last episode of of we see. I mean, we also find out that it was way worse than we thought because uh, last episode zane extends a bead of atm to vin yep and, and we talked about you know that's you know that's a kind gesture you know that's that, that's kind it's valuable he's i don't know maybe flirting with vin right but elliot pointed out that that is how ha- also the the only like if you will positive relation exchange he has with his father and and how we kind of can see that Maybe that's how he knows to show a, a positive interaction with others. We find out that that's a lump of lead and, and not actually valuable or good at all. It's actually very harmful for Vin. But I don't know. It, it's almost I'm almost about to throw Zane a pity party. <laughs> he <laughs> like uh, probably wins the maybe the biggest victim of this book uh, of this story. Um, in my opinion, he uh, the relationship with Straff is just uh, terrible, t- terrifyingly terrible. Um, and and here is kind of his like attempt to, I guess, feel like he can save himself. He's a victim to this, and he's a victim to whatever this voice is in his head. Um, it's like ex- what we learn is an external force of of some kind that is like terrorizing him, and then kind of is like, oh, you're dead. Hmm. Guess what? You weren't actually crazy after all. And and, and what I want to say about this is the dialogue. If if you just read this, especially for the first time, go back and reread some of the the dialogue that he has towards Vin. It is. I mean, I don't say that because it's like awe inspiring. I mean, it's sad. It's heartbreakingly sad. It, mm-hmm. It's you can especially listening to the audio book. They do such a good job. It's. Like he's all all that he's clinging on to is that Vin was supposed to save him, which is a false hope. Like like that is not true. It is not truthful, but that's truth as far as Zane can see it, given his circumstances, given his past, given his situation, as far as he can see, that is truth. We're talking about hope and truth, right? And for him, I think that was his hope and that was the the true thing he could see in his hope and it is actively crumbled right in front of him and he like can't really put anything together other than like you were supposed to save me 
I just feel like there's so much weight to that and so much like heartache I felt in that of like, I mean, poor guy. Could, I mean, there just wasn't much he could think of or do. I mean, obviously he tried to kill Vin, was unsuccessful, and 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 all sorts of stuff there. But so so that's not a set. That's sad. It's depressing. It's probably not the prettiest note to to end our episode on. But I think I, I really wanted to point that out and I wanted to bring that up of just like how, <laughs> I guess how how oh. sad it is. I feel really bad for Zane just as a character. And and to maybe try and bring it full circle to tie it back to Seiza's discussion, you might even say that Vin is Zane's false religion. Vin is what Zane has tied his hope on, which, like you said, was not grounded in truth. It gave him that thing to live for, which was that dream of fixing himself and it ends in a incredibly tragic way, like you just said. Yeah. I don't think Zane gets enough credit as a character, I think, in my brain at least. That I, I pretty easily dismiss Zane, but giving him more context like that, Paul, I I do think there's some good complexity. I I will weigh in with an opinion on that once I find out who the voice is. Mm. And the relationship between the voice and Zane. If this is a, this voice is some kind of powerful being that has like, actively manipulated Zane, taking control of him in a way, tortured him and told him he's crazy to use him for other stuff, yes, I will probably hop on the pity party for Zane. If this is something else that Zane has kind of willingly entered into or serves via a choice that he makes, I will be less inclined to give Zane a pass. That's fair. That, that's very fair. Theme for the part, Elliot? Theme for the part. Marriage. Actually, <laughs> not marriage. I feel like we I feel like we skim past marriage just like the just book like does. they did. Yep. It is a, yeah, absolutely. Say Zed, what's the fastest marriage ceremony you know? Okay, that one. Go. Like I, I just I, I laughed out loud during the, the marriage part. It it was it was sweet. It was actually, you know, well done and not completely deserving of, of mocking, but goodness, that was the fastest shotgun wedding ever. My actual my actual theme for this part is one I'm hesitant to use because I feel like it's it's a theme of much more than just this part. And I, I may have even used it as a as a theme in the past in the previous book or this one. But the the biggest thing that I saw kind of weaving through these chapters in part four was this discussion of of trust. M mainly in Vin's mind, both with Elland and then also the lack of it with Zane. And then these comparisons that Vin makes back to Kelsier. Trevor, I think you pointed this out. The, the definitive moment for Vin is when she realizes she can trust Elland and not Zane. And she can trust Ellen because Ellen trusts her. And she she specifically references Kelsier in that. Kelsier always had this, I think the word that I would use is faith. 
Pelsier had this faith in Vin where Vin got handed really important jobs right from the beginning. And Kelsier was like, eh, you can impersonate a noble, a noble woman, go for it. And it wasn't necessarily that Pelsier like trusted that Vin wasn't going to betray them necessarily, but he just decided he was going to have faith in her. Pelsier said, you know what, Vin? I know you can do this. I'm putting my faith in you. And, and Ellen has that quality. And Vin kind of discovers that in this in this chapter, this this end one here, where he she realizes that one of the the qualities she admires most about Ellen is his Kelsier like level of faith in other people, not just her even. Like Ellen has faith in other people as well. He's right. he always assumes the best in those around to to his detriment, as Tindwell will will happily point out to us yes. uh, multiple times. Um, yeah, I, th I think there were other bits of of trust maybe kind of going through some of these um features but that was the biggest one vin and ellen they they truly trust each other enough that they are ready to get married and ride off into the sunset all right i'm going to put predictions behind a stormlight spoiler because there Ooh. there are things that i don't think ellie can talk about with full context let me let me say one thing real quick before we dismiss any Mistborn only folks. I had a weird feeling at the end of this part four. It almost felt like the book could have ended right there. Yeah. It. I, I am scratching my head that there are 150 to 200 pages left in this book because that, that right there felt like the ending to a Sanderson book. It would have been, I would have looked back and said, oh, that was kind of a smallish Sander Lanch for, for Brandon. But goodness, I feel like we just hit a moment of almost closure on so much. And then I'm, I'm like looking ahead of the book, like what, what, where are we? We don't have enough time. Two things are going to happen. Crazy stuff is going to happen in the next hundred pages that a hundred pages is not going to do justice to, or something is going to catch us. Uh, or I have no idea where we're going in these last <laughs> 100 pages. I'm confused. This felt like it should have been the end. Not, not only one, but we still got two more parts. We have the part six, yeah. the unheard of part six coming. Yes. Mm -hmm. That was all I wanted to say before we get into theories. Okay, it's one of my spoilers. Let's talk about the voice in Zane's head. In full context, what is Elliot? Give, give me a good prediction on what exactly is happening. Well, there's just so many there's just so many things that I could point to that this could be. I from the very moment we heard this voice in his head, insanity was not on my list of options. We know we have Spren who bond with their Knights Radiant who speak through thoughts. This could easily be some kind of spirit being on this planet. Like I'm thinking small scale spirit being that is that is talking to him. There's one option. Sentient swords who love to just kill everyone who's around them. Mm. Option two. Three, he could be the vessel of a shard. I mean, we, we know of large-scale powerful beings that talk to people through dreams and thought and things like that. That could be a voice in his head. I feel like there's two or three other things that, that this could be. I... The, the amount of options that are out there in the Cosmere for specifically like 
investiture-based beings that communicate through methods other than audible voice to have something like that here on schedule talking to Zane not only would that not surprise me in the least I'd be rather surprised if there isn't something like that here on on schedule so that that's why that line at the at the end of that is not a surprise to me in any way is it possible that one of the metals he's burning is a drug that talks to that talks to him like ATM or something I like the theory of the spike. I like Spikes the theory of yeah okay. that there is that there is something in the spike, or the spike creates some kind of link from him to another being. Now, again, what what is the spike made of? Why does ingesting something in your stomach do something different than stabbing yourself with the spike? Like, lots of questions to to figure out here, but. I like the spike thought. Mm. We we talked before about our our shards that we have here huh. on on schedule. And we don't know a whole lot yet other than there's likely two these two and we have names. Ruin and preservation, that's about it. Mm-hmm. So it's all that I know at this point. But I will say kill them would be something that a shard named Ruin says. That's fair. I mean, maybe Ruin them would be better, <laughs> but kill them is fairly close. Ruin them. <laughs> ruin her. I mean, ruin maybe, him. Maybe he goes around just like kicking over piles of stones and stuff too. I don't know. So the, the, the big reveal to me at the end of this part is... The voice is deliberately being ambiguous to Zane until he knows he's going to die. And then it's fully revealed that this is a fully sentient voice. Like, at any point, the voice could talk to Zane in a full conversation, but he's choosing not to, to keep Zane in the dark, that he just hears this voice in his head that says, kill him. And until this point, we thought that that's all it was. Now we know it's an actual voice, and it's just choosing to say, kill him, to stay ambiguous anything else it it does it does smack of manipulation mm-hmm. it does you know, th- this is not a friendly spren who's trying to discover new powers and help you save the world mm. this this is clearly somebody who wants to use you for your misborn abilities to further their agenda anything else I don't think so we can talk about the flute next week. Well, there's a cliffhanger for you. That's a good idea. Thank you for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We will be entering part five next week. See that? Let's do it. Sayonara.